is the Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Well, welcome back to the Enter Sad Men podcast, episode number 53, uh, in our journey to find the greatest hard rock and heavy metal and prog rock and other types of rock albums uh, ever released and the ones you should certainly own. And if you can't own them, then you should certainly have listened to them before you shuffle off this mortal coil. If you've been with us before, you know the score. We do three albums each episode, reviewed, rated, and ranked. And then we put them into the Hall of Fame to see how they stack up against the other albums that we've been talking about. If you haven't already done so, go and check us out on our website, entersadmen.co.uk, where you'll find the up-to-date uh, hall of fame as well as lots and lots of lists of the best stuff um the best of each year that we've done and it's growing so you need to keep going back to catch up with all of the new stuff that's on there you find out bits about us as well uh, if you're remotely interested in that and we're all over social media and including now on youtube as well so if you want your rock you can find it with us pretty much everywhere joined as usual by Stephen richard we're going to be talking about another three albums this evening and um it's been yet another interesting week we do this on themes so we have a well it's not a real tombola i mean i hate to pull the glitter curtain apart and spoil the facade and ruin everything for you but it, we have a tombola and uh, it spits out a random number the n- number correlates to a topic or theme and we have to pick an album each that is based on that topic or theme well uh, we call the tombola the tico torres tombola of topics and themes and it was very kind to us last time out because it gave us a nice easy topic to look at which was the year 1977. Richard, Steve, good evening, gents. Let's start by talking about the choices we made. Obviously, we know what we chose because we've been talking about them on and off over the last week or so. Um, But for the benefit of everyone listening, um, Steve, what did you choose from 1977? Yeah, I thought you'd like 1977, being the 70s throwback that you are. And yeah, there was a fair bit to go out. I was toying with the idea of bringing Quiet Riot, Quiet Riot to the party. But I thought that because we'd kind of managed to sort of channel you down a sort of prog route over recent episodes, that I thought this was a sort of, this was a theme we should sustain for a while longer yet. And the perfect antidote to the punk revolution that was sweeping the country, I've gone for uh, Going for the One by Yes. Which filled me with horror, given that I wasn't overly keen on Fragile when we did that many moons ago. However, I may have changed my mind about, yes, I may not have done. We'll find out shortly. Uh, Richard, what did you choose? It gave me an opportunity because it's been a long, long time since episode 17 when we last featured one of my favourite bands. Because 1977 was the year that Blue Oyster Cult uh, released, I think it's their fifth studio album called Spectres, uh, with the brilliant, brilliant fan favourite Godzilla opening it. So yeah, it had to be done. And I've gone back as well to another band that we've also talked about uh, in the past. So no new bands to talk about this week or in this episode. I went back to Queen and to their 1977 album, News of the World. And I suppose the most remarkable thing about that is it feels like we will rock you and we are the champions have been around for, you know, since about 
the Jurassic Age, but this was the album that brought us those two. So fairly important Queen album, and we'll be talking about that in due course. But um, before we do anything else, let's give you a quick flavour of some of the tracks that grace those three fine albums. As usual, we do them in the chronological order of when they were released. And that means we start with yes and going for the one. Steve. Opening album sleeve notes. Mm, indeed we do. Chronological order. of July 1977 that this beast came out um, recorded in from October 76 to April 1977 a suitably long period of time because this is after all a prog album so it took forever which is uh, how those things were crafted the first yes album I ever listened to owned by my sister to this day I've no idea why because um, it's not her sort of bucket at all um, should have been far more earth wind and fire than blue oyster cult but for whatever reason she had this presumably donated by a boyfriend, a hairy-ass boyfriend. Um, and when she wasn't around, I used to borrow it, take it downstairs, stick it on my dad's stack, and I loved it. And I've since revisited Yes, because I, I, I was no fan, um, and I've 
gone on and bought a few more of the back catalogue, one or two later ones, and hand on heart and with no apology, um, probably perhaps swayed by the history I've got with this, um, with this album, which dates back, well, well over 40 years. I don't think they did anything better. That's my view. As I confess, I've not heard everything, but, you know, we did Fragile earlier in the pod and I didn't warm to that massively. Um, and I've heard Close to the Edge and Topographic Oceans and later stuff like 90125. I just think this wins it hands down every time. I think this is a, such a, such a um, accomplished piece of work. Let's just have a little talk about the bits and pieces. So as I say, yeah, July 77, they all came down to Montreux on the Lake Geneva shoreline to um, to record it at Mountain Studios. Um, it lasts 38 minutes and 49 seconds on the Atlantic label. It's only five tracks, which is brilliant, um, one of which is 15 minutes long. Earth Crisis have done world tours in that time. Um, there's... Three three tracks on side one and two on side two. Well, how else do you divvy up five? I mean, it's just a three-two split, which is just typical. I mean, this is prog. Fuck it. I mean, the rolls are out the window. This is just how it is. As for the makeup of the band, John Anderson, the little squealer on lead vocals and harp, Steve Howe on any number of guitars, Chris Squire on any number of basses, Rick Wakeman on any any number of um of pianos and keyboards and organs and anything you fiddle with. Um, and Alan White on drums and percussion. And it was produced by Yes, because that's how it was. So Rick Wakeman back was the kind of big headline news here because, well, I mean, if, if you listen to his interviews, and he gives many, he just needed to pay the bills. It, it run out, it, it lost faith with the band earlier. And they brought him back. And the, the, the great line is that he, he succeeded Patrick Moraz, who is Swiss, who had effectively been forced out. Plenty of stories about how that happened. Although the bottom line, the, my hunch is that John Anderson, probably the ultra-lovey John Anderson, is probably not the easiest man to work with. That's just a, that's just a hunch. But anyway, Moraz fell out with him. And the interesting thing here, of course, is they've flown back to Switzerland, Moraz's homeland, to start the recording and rehearsal and everything, and then just fucking binned him. So I, I suppose on the plus side, he didn't have far to go home. What is clear from other interviews is that the creative juices were seriously flowing. Although when you listen to their, when you see their kind of daily schedule, it's fucking so middle class. So skiing in the morning, hot tubs, some songwriting, a few beers, and off to bed. And this went on for months. And you just think, is it any wonder punk was happening? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just so so preposterously you know <laughs> middle class but the upshot steve howe calls this the euro rock album of all time which i think is probably slightly overdoing it but um they were obviously so so proud of it cut to the chase what i like about this is it's, it's just such an incredibly easy listen it's a really really accessible album and the, and the one thing you can't always accuse yes of is being accessible i mean let's 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 be honest i mean they, they vanish up far too many orifices for their own for their own well-being um but they don't hear that's not to say that anderson's voice i still find irritating in in certain places and they still vanish up those orifices from time to time um but i think less so than before i just think this is an absolute triumph and it is a tale of two sides and and contrary to normal rock convention side two is 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 almost flawless I think it's a brilliant album. I think it's an absolutely brilliant, as I say, my favourite Yes album, and I have marked it accordingly. 
And um, Mark, you always worry about Rip Wakeman and wanking on and his pianos and thing. Did you get on with it? Did you get on with him? I really liked this album, I have to say. I'm not going to make any secret of the fact that I was absolutely dreading it, particularly when I read the Wikipedia entry before I started playing it, where somebody said this was like a sequel to Fragile. And I'm like, got my head in my hands, yeah, prepared to drive my car into the nearest tree because, frankly, the thought of listening to that again for what I don't know how long that album was, about four days, I think it was went on for. I think this was actually quite... Yeah, com- although it's five, uh, and that scared me. Five tracks, five tracks s- scared the shit out of me. I'm thinking, fifteen minutes? Are you serious? Fifteen <laughs> minutes? I mean, I was transported back to my stag weekend, and 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 Richard playing Transatlantic for thirty five minutes Ooh, on yeah, Sunday yeah, morning, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and which has scarred me. I mean, the fact I raised it now, uh, all this time, yeah. twenty one years later, um. But no, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was beautiful in places. I thought they disappeared up orifices, uh, as you say, at times. But that is the nature of prog. And actually, you know, I have become, I think, far more appreciative of um, prog rock than certainly than I ever was before. And I can, yeah, I understand that the nature of prog is that sometimes it goes wrong because that's that's where the creative kind of genius is often found is in just experimenting and and so it's a it's a process i get that so i I'm, i was kind of happy to live with that really and it was worth it for the upsides but yeah i thought it was a tremendous album really good i know you love it richard not my favorite yes album but it, it's far more it is far more accessible i mean they do talk about that they were all in a bit of a happier place and they'd matured a bit more uh, they related to each other a bit more. You know, one of the criticisms we had of Fragile was it did, really did just seem like a load of random bits written by different individuals thrown together. I think there there are still a couple of bits on this where I'm not. Uh, it's too clever for me to follow. But as a the, the way that it's actually structured and the way the songs are written are really really good. I mean, it's light as a feather. It's beautiful. I have no problem at all with John Anderson's voice, and it just works so well in in this context. So, yeah, it's been lovely listening to this. You, you of course, as a Geddy Lee fan, wouldn't have any problem with John Anderson's voice, would you? But I don't either. I, I think, in fact, John Anderson, I think, has got one of the, the loveliest voices I've ever heard, mm. um, and it works for for yes. Even the stuff that yes have done that I don't like, I think his voice works for it. So it's interesting, isn't it? How how subjective all of that stuff is. Mm. So yeah, as I say, uh, five tracks. So we got we got three on side one, we got two on side two, and it opens up with the title track, which is going for the one, which is yeah notable for Steve Howe playing steel guitar. For loads of piano, which isn't really noteworthy because the whole album's full of it. Bit of a fairground feel to it. And interestingly, despite its kind of iconic status, it's actually my lowest score on the album. Not a low score, I hasten to add, but there's just a couple of bits in here. And this is the whole prog thing, isn't it? You'll find things in songs that if you just don't get it, you probably, chances are you never will. And so there's a, I've got a quibble over the bit of Chaz and Day piano and there's a that staccato vocal just jars a bit minor quibbles but hey there you go got to factor it in so yeah going for the one it's a very 
non-yes start, mm. isn't it? I mean, there's the very beginning, you almost feel like it's a it's a Led Zepp sort of kind of guitar, you know, almost could have been off Houses of the Holy or uh, whatever. And um, then it's almost goes a bit Beatles. Uh, it's still incredibly layered. On, on the one hand, it's very accessible if you're just listening you know, with it on in the background. But if you really, really sit down and focus on it, there's still so much going on uh, inside it. I like it. It's it's a it's a it's a good start. Really good upbeat start, and again sets the template for the rest of the album in terms of what you're going to get from them. I think. I think listening to this for the first time, I've heard this, and interestingly, I've heard quite a lot of this album in different ways over the years, just not as a complete piece of work but i hadn't quite put together the fact that this was yes uh, yeah whatever as soon as i heard that steel guitar i i kind of had the feeling everything was going to be all right because it's it was different it was different like you this is also my lowest scoring track on the album but it's it's only because the other tracks are so much better Hmm which sounds like the obvious thing to say, doesn't it? Mm. But it's not that it's a bad track. Um, I love the chorus. I find some of the rest of it a bit challenging to listen to, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? Well, it is. It was a good start, though. Yeah, it is. And and as Richard said, Richard talks about the layers and that. I mean, if if we're talking about the layers on every track, we'll be here all night because it's just just so much going on. the, 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 The song arrangements... Are extraordinary. I mean, I you know I took the piss out of the fact that it took them you know seven months to write five tracks or whatever. But <laughs> there's there's no shortage of thought gone into these bloody things, and um, and, and the, the end product it's all there, isn't it? It's really really clever music. Track two is turn of the century. The, the only track interestingly that credits drummer Alan White as a co-writer. I don't know what that signifies, but I just thought I'd throw that in. There's something almost. Um, hymnal about this it's, it's an exquisite song it, which kind of drifts and flows as two or three on this album do it's kind of drifts and flows and wanders led by how on the classical guitar and there's a really sort of plaintive singing performance from anderson picks up and it picks up and it lifts and builds and then drops back down again and then uh, again it's it's almost a kind of conveyor belt of things going on for a few minutes but it's beautiful such a powerful number yeah, I thought it was absolutely captivating. It's an absolute joy to listen to. And you it's a song that you can't just have on either. You have to listen to it. But even though it's complex and it's layered and it's got all of this stuff going on and there's loads of stuff going on in it, unlike Fragile, which was also complex and layered and had lots of stuff going on in it, it holds you because there's a coherence to it mm. that, Fragile doesn't have, I don't think, across any of its tracks, with the possible exception of Roundabout. So, um, yeah, I absolutely love this. I think this is just an exquisite piece of music. Yeah, I completely agree. It's so light, very, very uplifting. And talk about Anderson's voice. Who else could make this song sound like mm. this? As you say, it's listen to it really complicated but but there's there's a i don't know but overall there's a simplicity about it it's not hard to listen to you you can if you listen to it and focus on it you find more but it's much much more accessible oh no it's not a hard listen it's certainly not a hard listen interestingly it started off shorter and they obviously thought 
nah, <laughs> short. <laughs> Fuck off. You know, let's put some length. Well, it was, on this it was seven minutes to begin with, was it? <laughs> yeah. Let's crack on. We can add some stuff. I actually think Parallels, which is the um, the third track, is well, it's, they're, they're different songs. I, it, to me, this is getting better. It's just going up a notch again. It's, it's the bass line that underpins this that makes it perhaps no mm. surprise then that it's Chris Squire who wrote it. Again, the catalogue of things going on with cathedral organs and percussion, and there's a section in his in this where Wakesman's organ is going hammer and tongs over the percussion. It's just it's unbelievable. It's exciting. It's so it's such a contrast to turn of the century you know it's it's an exciting track love it for me not as good as turn of the century as you say the the bass the bass on this just absolutely gets you fantastic bass a uh, li- little bit too much noodling in the middle of it for me but but yeah good track three good track three again another one that i just thought was really good i, I just think it's really good I was starting to get slightly worried because I was thinking, what the hell's going on? That's three tracks in a row that I have actually actively enjoyed when I didn't expect to. You know, I thought, given it was a later Yes album, and I do like 90125, so, you know, the, the older or the the younger the albums get, the more I tend to like them, probably because they're a bit more commercial, if I'm being honest, but... I'm not sure I quite understand what's going on, but I like what my ears are hearing. You know, everyone was enjoying it, it seemed, which is the great irony of this, isn't it? That, you know, here we are in 1977 and, you know, the world's being punked and we're all supposed to have no tolerance for this whatsoever. And, you know, while Sid Vicious and that snotty twat Leiden are saying shit on TV on an early evening show, these boys are taking this to number one and saying, yeah, no, fuck you. This just never seems out of time. Never seems never seems a wrong time for this sort of thing, you know. If ever there was a time when the, when a prog album was going to bomb, it was 1977, and, and far from bomb, this just reached for the stars, which is I, I, just makes me happy. Just knowing that just makes me even happier. But but it's not really a surprise though, is it? Because the the world was also very tolerant and receptive to stuff like. Jean-Michel Jarre, which was, you know, talk about overblown wank. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like, I, I liked Oxygen, you know, and, I, and so I'm, th- that's not criticism of Jean-Michel Jarre. I, I actually really enjoy that stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was self-indulgent and overblown at a time when, by rights, it shouldn't have made any sort of dent in the public consciousness. And this is the same. You know, there there is an appetite because this is an antidote to all of that carnage, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And I would imagine Wakeman liked Jean Michel Jarre as well. I would imagine they'd have been they'd have been good friends. It's 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 the same old wank, isn't it? As you say, I mean, and, yeah. and you know, <laughs> and what better to wank over than an organ? But I, <laughs> but I will say that it's it's Wakeman and Squire that make this track particularly. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that the ba- the way that the interplay between the bass and that organ yeah. is just phenomenal. Yeah, relentless. So flip the album, and as I say, side two. Oh, side two. Um, it's just a hammock. It's a hammock side from start to finish. It truly is, and um, it begins with wondrous stories. It's written by Anderson on a beautiful day in Montreux, and just listening to this, you you get the sense of a man who's having a beautiful day in Montreux. It's just such a lovely, lovely, lovely 
ballad. Yeah, yeah, it's a pop ballad. It was released as a single. It's their highest selling single, charted at number seven. It's just a charming little ditty, isn't it? A bit old school, you know? There's a kind of minstrel feel to, to Anderson. He's almost sort of musically telling a story, which, well, which it is. I love it. Yeah. Always have. It remains one of my favourite Yes songs. It, his voice is so uplifting. It typifies the mood if they were trying to create, isn't it? Mm. I mean, a completely different mood to so many, some stuff on so many of their other albums. So, yeah, I love this song. Yeah, this is another of Yes's songs that I knew before I knew the album. So, uh, and I liked this the first time I heard it. So, this was quite, it was quite a nice surprise because although I'd heard it, I didn't know the title of it, which sounds bizarre, I know, but there you go. It's quite obvious when you listen to it what the title is. But anyway, um, but to, to discover it was on this album, it was like, I turned the effect, yeah, essentially, notionally turned the record over, and then you just kind of get this kind of, ah, it's this, that's good. Again, it, it just carries on in the same vein of ex, of excellence that the whole album has. And and I hate you for for making me listen to it, because I <laughs> really had lots of comfort in hating Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the real reason I chose this, of course, was to subject you to 15 minutes of a finale, which was um, which I, I knew you'd thoroughly approve of. Yes, the finale, Awaken, and this sprawling 15-minute epic. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. It's breathtaking. This is my musical box moment. And I know I'm gonna sound like a cock, and I don't care. It's just drawn out overblown it's mesmerizing it's enchanting i just it's just adorable so hard to describe so many elements in here obviously i mean it's 15 minutes long for christ's sake but it's just captivating it's just constantly captivating no waste here at all every element every segue you know every little different piece of instrumentation there's lots of them just work it's just genius as i say i'm just a pretentious old cock but I don't give a shit. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. It is an amazing epic. Um, I don't know if I'll wax quite as lyrical as Steve on this. This is back to classic, yes. <laughs> Musicianship off the scale. So, yeah, it, it's an um, absolutely amazing piece of music. But for me, uh, it, it's too many parts and there's not enough of a backbone there for me. Okay. So it falls into that camp of, of Yes songs. But there are some lovely, lovely bits and pieces through it. Yeah. I think it's interesting you likened this to your musical box moment because the, the, the first half of this song really reminds me of Genesis and probably, but, but not, well, it does remind me of that sort of early 70s Genesis, but also particularly reminds me of the track the Lamb Lies Down, the title track of The Lamb Lies Down. It's got a sense of the cage about it as well. And I, I mean, I love The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I just think it's a phenomenal. And I know you don't as a Genesis fan, which is interesting, but I love it. So I love this because it's in the same spirit as that. And um, like Richard, I, 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 there are bits of it where I just, I just don't understand what's going on and it kind of loses me a bit. But for the most part, it's, you just sit there slack-jawed at mm. the sheer musicianship and the 
and the lightness of touch. That's the other thing, is that this whole album has got a really light touch that it's almost... This sounds absolutely ridiculous because there's so much going on, but the overall impression is of less being more. I don't get any sense that it's kind of overstayed its welcome, this this track, until right at the very end. I like I like I love everything about it up until about minute thirteen, which is just ludicrous even talking about minute thirteen in a song. But the guitar solo, that kind of screaming guitar solo I love. And 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 if anyone who's not heard this song, there is a point, there's a midpoint in this after about six minutes where it's suddenly and and mournfully goes into this incredible they call it their Vivaldi moment where Waitman at his at his at the ultimate organ his, he gets his big one out um and there's all sorts of organs and harps and triangles and everything and it's um it's almost like four minutes of musical meditation just snapped by Anderson backed by a choir and it comes back in it's truly truly and I'm going off again on on cock mode and I don't care it is truly just one of the most towering pieces of sort of introspection musically you'll ever come across i you know i don't have high enough praise for this song it's just at the end it just goes on just a couple of minutes too long but hey that's a a minor quibble a minor quibble so highs and lows on going for the one okay well I'll, i'll go first even though i love it i think going for the one is my low but it's a very high low and my absolute high i think is turn of the century i would just think it's beautiful it's hardly a great big order of songs to to score so that there are two that share the lowest score which again isn't low uh that's going for the one in parallels and for me still wondrous stories is uh, is the track of this album yeah going for the one again you know it's it's a perfectly perfectly good opener um but it's the lowest score for me and oh yeah, awaken. Oh, I can't carry on, so I'll. I'll I don't, I'm not going to say anymore. Awaken. I'm just not going to say anymore. It's all there is to it. It's all you need to know. I think we've all had a real fun with um, with going for the one by yes. But two more albums to do. Two more albums for our 1977 episode. Um, and next up, we fast forward a few months, a few weeks, a few months to Queen's sixth studio album, News of the World, Mark. Opening album sleeve notes. We will, we will rock you.
Yeah, now I could spend ages talking about the lineup of the band and the stuff they've done before and the stuff they go on and do and what a massive band they are and how influential they were and Freddie Mercury being taken from us too early. But actually, you know all of that stuff anyway. So um, let's instead spend a bit of time talking about the circumstances in which this album arrives. So let's have a look at the nuts and bolts first. So this is Queen, album number six, News of the World, followed on from a day at the races and was recorded in a fairly lengthy session between July and September of 1977 before finally hitting the shelves in the shops on October the 28th of that year, produced by Queen and Mike Stone of Journey uh, fame and also obviously of conspiracy theories around 1987 uh, by White Snake as well. So you've got all that going on. Um, 39 minutes just over and recorded at Basing Street, Psalm West and Wessex Sound Studios, all in London. I'm not going to go through the lineup. You know who the bloody lineup is, and if you don't, you, you should be shot. Um, it got to number four in the UK. Got to number three in America. Sold uh, well so far. It sold five and a half million copies, including going four times platinum in the United States of America. It's got 11 tracks on it. And that is essentially, in a nutshell, that is news of the world. This emerges as punk is careening round the corner and coming into the public conscience. In fact, it is so imminent that in the studio next to, to Queen, when they were recording this, were the Sex Pistols recording Nevermind the Bollocks. So what we get here with News of the World is a very stripped back, slimmed down version of Queen. It's a slightly new direction. There's none of that overblown, multi-layered stuff going on in this album, which Brian May said was always kind of intended to be part of their evolution, conveniently, because the band had taken quite a lot of flack with Day at the Races because critics said it sounded, and fans actually said it all sounded uh, a bit, you know, too similar to A Night at the Opera. So May kind of claims that they'd always kind of wanted to go in a more simplistic direction with News of the World. But he did concede that the, the sort of the onslaught and arrival of punk kind of hastened that quite a bit. So uh, we get a very simple, well, it's simple for Queen. I don't think you could listen to this album and say this would be simple for Pile Driver, for example. I think uh, I think it's probably beyond Gord's, um, you know, many talents, obviously. In terms of the complexity of the approach, I mean, just to give you a bit of a taste, on all of the recording sessions, Roger Taylor took two days to set up his drum kit. <laughs> so this is a band that is not necessarily compromising on organization or planning or preparation but they have got a much much more stripped back slimmed down uh, style a much more simplistic approach to actually laying down the tracks although the actual mixing of it and mastering of it took an absolute bloody age um, but it eventually comes out and it, it is now seen as one of the best Queen albums um, from their canon. It's not, I think, uh, Night of the Opera is, is, and the first, Night of the Opera and Queen 2 are probably seen by the fans, the, kind of the zenith of their output. But yeah, this comes pretty close, I think. Um, so and we'll get on and listen to it in a minute. But uh, boys, Queen, News of the World, it's, yeah, it's one of those albums that almost slips under the radar when you're looking at their back catalogue, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, everybody knows the first two tracks, uh, but but the rest, I mean, stripped back. Yeah, I suppose. But it, it's the variety. The variety is still there, isn't it? 
you know, the blues, calypso, rock and roll, jazz, bit of hard rock, bit of rock and roll, funk. I mean, it's just just all there, so varied. And I really like the production. I, I think we've complained before on albums where they've you know they've stripped it back too far. We complain on albums when they over, where they're horrendously overproduced. This I like the sound on this album. It's live from a point of you know be, being very, very pure, very balanced. You can hear everything brilliantly. And Freddie Mercury's voice was never better, wasn't it? And I'm never better. I'm just, it's just fantastic on this album. So I've really enjoyed it. And I think personally, it, it contains one of the best ever tracks they've ever written. Um, I've given it a maximum, but it's not any of the, of the famous ones. But yeah, been really good. Really, really loved it. Mm, I've got a maximum in here as well, but it is one of the famous ones, um, which were pretty much the only two songs I knew off the album back in the day. I have played the album a few times, but it was those top two, you know, We'll Rock You With The Champions that everyone knows. But there is one other track on here, and I'm guessing it's the same one that Richard has alluded to, that I have long adored. Freddie's voice does sound perfect. It makes you wonder why he didn't sing on all the songs. That's just a small point. And yes, it is still very eclectic as well. And I was drawn to one of the... Because there's a review, and Wikipedia's got loads of reviews, and there's one in particular that, that's resonated with me, which said, and I quote, I don't know who it was from, it was from All Music, and they said, it's an explosion of styles that didn't seem to hold any particular centre. Um, and I echo that absolutely entirely. So this is a band, you know, at the top of their game, you know, the bigger hits are yet to come. Yeah, okay, bigger than Bohemian Rhapsody. Is that even possible? But you know what I mean? That, that there was this volume of big hits that was to come um, in the eighties. So that the, they were already self-assured and they're confident, and they all and there was a and that would carry on through to this record and beyond. So I think they were amazingly self-assured, knew where they wanted to be, were quite happy trying different things, and that to me is kind of the problem it's a very funny album in many ways um i think it's a dog dinner in terms of track layout um nothing quite follows quite right but going back to your your sex pistols reference you know the sort of pseudo friendship between the bands this is this is the show that the sex pistols will hate won't it just given the three bands and three albums we're doing it's everything that they would loathe and that's what's so interesting about this stuff because this is an it's, this is an eclectic mix stripped back queen well, maybe, but um, I'm not getting a natural order, but that's that's a minor quibble. Bottom line, I find it all a little bit of a mess, and many people sort of lazily presuming, oh, it's Queen, back end of the 70s, it's just going to be genius, but I'm not really getting that. And there's a couple of, you know, well, there's one track on here in particular, which is an absolute dog to ask, but... Um, <laughs> and I think so, you know where I'm going with that. So I, I was thinking about the track order because... Yes, it, it is eclectic. There's nothing that fits together. You don't. Probably the only one, the only tracks that naturally follow on from each other, are the first two. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. that's probably because yeah. they've appeared yeah. together on yeah. every single yeah. compilation going, haven't they? So mm. they're almost they're almost one track. Yeah. We will rock you, and we are the champions. So I was in the same thing. I was thinking, well, you know, what's? I tried reordering it in my head. <laughs> impossible. Impossible. To yeah. Do. Yeah, how do you? It's quick. Yeah. They do whatever they do. I don't. Yeah, I don't think you no, can. You probably can't because there's so much variety. It's um, yeah. They they put the two that are closest together. The rest, it's just all over the place. Okay, so the album kicks off with "We Will Rock You," and I, I find it 
I've tried really hard to put aside the fact that I have heard this thousands upon thousands of times. And in truth, I don't ever need to hear it again. And I feel the same way about the next one as well. We are the champions, to be honest. I mean, they are fantastic songs. Don't get me wrong. Brilliant songs. Um, and I've marked them on their, their merits as songs. But I'm tired of, I'm, I am tired of hearing them. We Will Rock You was written essentially to, it was a, it was a device by Brian May to allow, to have something that at their live shows would allow the crowd to get involved in. So this kind of 4-4 four, four beat, which was the kind of, you know, the um, with the pause uh, and the clap, that was all kind of planned apparently. So um, I love the guitar when it comes in at the end. It turns very heavy metal right at the end, although, albeit for much too short a period for my liking and in fact live killers uh the live album that came uh, a couple of years later features a, a, an entirely electric version of this which i think personally is much better and i never tire of hearing that one what about you two yeah these first two uh I mean, they, they are a pair aren't they i mean both really written for the fans as two songs i still absolutely love we are the champions we will rock you i've never been that bothered by I mean, lots of overdubbed stamps and claps. I get the purpose. It was after hearing the chance of We Will Rock You on, or actually on the day at the races tour. The fans actually heard these chants, I think, didn't they? But as a song, yeah, it's it's pretty simple. It's pretty basic. So it's not got a low score, but neither high for I Will Rock You. We're the champions, much higher score. We are a colossal song in terms of the, this pair to kick off the album. Steve, I would imagine We Are The Champions is a bit too wimpy for you, isn't it? Not fast enough. No speed. You like your metal at pace. You've said so so often. Yeah. So tell us how shit We Are The Champions is. I'm not a one-trick pony, you old wanker. You know that. <laughs> I love We Are The Champions. I hate We Will Rock It. I hate We Will Rock It. It just leaves me cold. Very few very few Queen songs over the years, you know, the biggies, leave me cold. I still get goosebumps listening to Bohemian Rhapsody, and I've listened to that even longer. Um, albeit by just a couple of years. All their, so many of their back catalogue, they just send tingles down your spine still, and you've heard them time and time and time again. And I still get that with We Are The Champions. I don't get that with We Will Rock You at all. Very, very occasionally, they don't flick switches with me with big songs that everyone knows. Another one, Bites The Dust, is another one. Uh, we Will Rock You is another. Um, it's not that it's bad, it's just don't get the fuss. It's a Grammy Hall of Fame inductee song. No, it's not. It just it just shouldn't it just shouldn't be, should it? Let's not overinflate this thing. We are the champions, in contrast, is beyond amazing. You know, it's just beyond amazing. I, I adore it. Absolutely adore it. And it takes me back. Absolutely takes me back to a time and a place. And you know, those kind of songs, as long as it's a good time and a good place, um, you you'll always have an affection for. And that one I didn't. Yeah. I, I feel much the same way about the whole Flash Gordon soundtrack. <laughs> and hot space which obviously is a classic no i know what you mean we're the champions is uh, musically instrumentally is absolutely beyond amazing Mm. i just don't need to hear it again okay i I, I like i love it i love it i think it's a brilliant piece of music but i can listen to bohemian rhapsody forever yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. you know what i mean that's ruled out the first five minutes of this album then we move on the track (laughs) (laughs) we are the champions listening to it properly do you know what i mean because you mm. the thing is you hear you hear that song on the radio all the time but actually sitting down in front of a pair of proper speakers and really really focusing on it and picking it apart i mean mercury's range 
throughout that 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 song is just unbelievable. Yeah, you put it put that through a proper system. When the instruments come in, my goodness, they come in with such power. It's a superb song, uh, despite it's over, yeah, you know, being over so overplayed. But we get to track three, sheer heart attack, and I just love this. Apart from apart from the nails down the blackboard sound, <laughs> and Brian May guitar tuneless guitar or whatever it whatever the hell that is at the end of that track absolutely ruins it for me but i just love this i absolutely love sheer heart attack i just think it's brilliant um but it's just an old rock and roll tune done at speed really and they'd written it a while before isn't it i think a couple of years yeah. earlier yeah uh, it was half finished when okay. they fin- when they were recording the album this should have been the title track obviously of <laughs> Sheer heart attack, but it was only mm. half finished. So. You know what? You know what? It makes me think of, and it's, this is your problem. You, you've you, you've done this to me because that that mention of the anecdote with the pistols and that this just sounds like a punk song. It's like, uh, given the time, it's almost as if they went into the studio, saw saw Sid Vicious or Johnny Rotten, and said, "Oh, by the way, we've written a punk song, and it's a fuck like better than yours, and we're not even a punk <laughs> band." You know what I mean? Because that's how good we are. It just feels a bit like that. He actually sounds. Like, Freddie sounds a bit like Fergal Sharkey on this, but it's, it's okay. There's a better track to come. Well, the funny thing about this is Rod, Roger Taylor's on drums, rhythm, guitar, and bass on this, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Well, they all they were all bloody swapping instruments, weren't they? Through this, I mean, they're all playing everything. But I think you're absolutely right, Steve. I think uh, if we're talking about all dead, all dead, track mm-hmm. number four, these next um, three tracks for me are just sensational. All dead, all dead. Spread your wings, which never fails to get me, and fight from the inside as a as a trio towards the end of side one. Well, going taking us to the end of side one, just brilliant. Absolutely love it. I'm guessing this is your ten, Richard, isn't it? No, no, because no. it was close for me. Oh yeah, it's just lovely, isn't it? So, I mean, it's classic Queens. It's quiet. It's gentle. Yeah, never tire here, and this is brilliant. There's something of the Beatles about it, don't you think? Mm. Yeah. In the chorus, yeah. the sheen gets wiped off it slightly when you when you come to learn that it's about Brian May's pack charging. Oh, that's right. But, yeah. You know, <laughs> I remember reading that. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I like about this is, um, you know, given where you know the, the, this is the dawn of the Hammond organ and everything, and yet you know the good old piano, it's enough a beautiful instrument, isn't it? You know, yeah. As, as, as mm. the, played along on a rock and, song, why not? And if you if you ever had any doubt, not the three of us, I'm talking about you know, all of you listening. If you ever had any doubt about how good Freddie Mercury is, he steals the show even when he's doing harmonies. <laughs> and then we come on to the story of Sammy. Spread your wings very nearly. If it weren't for one other track, this would be my track of the album, Spread Your Wings. I just absolutely love it. I think it's so beautifully constructed beautifully delivered i think side one of this album as a piece of music is almost perfect deacon wrote this didn't he it sounds like he's writing it about freddie it's almost biographical isn't it in the context of what he's talking about it's a very it's a likable very likable power ballad what i would say is that it's it's elevated by mercury i mean a seven out of ten track becomes eight out of ten because of him you know i mean there's no secret he could sing the phone book just just unbelievable that those dashes of genius that his voice provides supplies on any song is um you know makes good tracks unforgettable tracks i listen to freddie mercury and i just think i've never i Mm. don't think i've ever heard anyone better ever we do eventually get to my track of the album which is fight from the inside which i just 
I love the groove on this. This has got, it is so dirty. Uh, unlike the lyrics to the next um, to the next song, it's dirty in a good way. But I just love it. It's got loads of swing. It's got loads of bounce, and it just it sits up and it and then it never sits back down. I just think it's just genius. I'm, I'm I suspect I'm probably in a minority of one. No, it's not at the top for me, but it's up there. I mean, this is them doing funk rock. I mean, this is their got to be their. Their practice, their precursor to another one bites the dust, isn't it? Taylor again on vocals, I think, isn't it? And I would say that this deserved Freddie Mercury singing this one. Steve? I think I mentioned not very few moments ago that another one bites the dust is one of the few Queen tracks I really don't warm to. So, therefore, it follows. I'm not actually that bothered about this. Okay. Well, well, let's move on. Get down, make love. And interestingly, I don't have a lot of time for this one. I find it ploddy, dirgy, and not very interesting. It's too slow for me. It's only actually three minutes, 50 seconds, but it feels like about 12 hours by the time we get to the end of it. I, I feel about about this one, Steve, the way you feel about another one's Bites the Dust. Mm. It does nothing for me. Those are people who absolutely love it, and, and maybe Richard's going to be one of those people. Yeah, I like it. I do like it. <laughs> Do I love it? I, I like I like it a lot. For me, it's like a combination of "Whole Lot of Love" and "On the Run" by Pink Floyd. So um, I can understand why why you don't like half of it, Mark. And there are no synthesizers. All the stuff you're hearing on this are, are guitar sounds. So again, in terms of that experimentation they were going through, I mean, it is a bit jerky, very percussive, which is probably why I like it. I like the arrangement, and I think the finish is superb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an eclectic album, so you forgive them anything. But I was going to use the phrase vanishing up their own arses, but that's probably a little too, too close to the truth when you consider the subject matter of uh, Get Down, My Love. I mean, Freddie, when he's camp, is fun. I just find this a little bit disturbing. I find this song quite creepy um, in a completely unentertaining way. Kind of whatever musical redeeming features, therefore, this song might have. I'm just lost in the fact that I'm quite disturbed bit uneasy with the with the whole subject i just don't it's just it's just wrong oh steve wrong. i'm yeah, such you, a prude you, you just <laughs> just no sense no sense of adventure <laughs> I certainly i certainly wouldn't wouldn't fancy this adventure no that's um <laughs> although yeah. shackle my song do as they say well, steve. Indeed so yeah 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 um, i just it's just it's just not an exciting it's not an interesting track for me no, me, me either. But luckily, it's Queen, and you know, don't you, that yeah, if they slip and fall a little bit or stumble a little bit, then they're absolutely going to be right on it with the very next track. But oh wait, no, they're not, are they? Because it's <laughs> sleeping on the side. No, 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 they're not at all. <laughs> I don't, I don't like sleeping yeah. on the sidewalk either. I don't mind I it. I don't mind it. Yeah, no, no, I love that lead guitar. Done in one take, apparently, but you're about to say, well, that doesn't surprise me. Um, but yeah. That sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was the quote from Brian May. He said it has that kind of sloppy feel that I think works with the song, which we never would have. So I thought he was talking about um, Get Down, Make Love from it, but which we would never would have dreamed with the previous albums. Yeah, so this kind of, they're looking for spontaneity. And I don't mind this. It's all right. It's not a bad song, is yeah, it? I mean, it's better than blues. It's, it's, it, 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 I'm, I mean, I've, the two words I've written are uneventful and fine. <laughs> yeah. you know, nothing to dislike about it. Yeah. And again, it was, did, this feels like a practice for a crazy little thing called love, doesn't it? As well. And maybe that's it. You know, maybe that is it. Maybe it's, it's the fact that they did it better at another time. I don't know. Uh, 
it just leaves me a bit cold. Yeah. Leaves me a bit cold. So, okay, track nine then. Um, Who needs you? Uh, which is three minutes and six seconds of of uh, it's fine. I think fine and uneventful. I, I kind of apply your comments um, for sleeping on the sidewalk, Richard, to this this track. It's it's fine. Um, I quite like it. It's inoffensive enough. But I'll tell you what, side two of this album is a long way down from side one, mm. in my view. Yeah, yeah. overall. Well, there's uh, still uh, yeah. still that corker to come. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the calypso. It's just his voice just lifts every song. I I like Who Needs You. It's it's good. Fun. I like it. It's I, interesting. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. I think it's a real charmer. I think it's a little gem. Easy to be underrated because it's it's brief and it's quirky. But I think it's clever. I really do. It's interesting from a production point of view, isn't it? Because his voice is panned full right and the guitars are panned full left. So um, it is a very interesting listening experience. I'll give you that. I, I don't dislike it. I just, yeah, I don't get excited about it. It's all, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think um, I think Queen's Average is still a very long way up from most other bands, brilliant. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's that kind of context, yeah. isn't it? Well, and of course, Mark, as you mentioned earlier, um, uh, with Brian May, it was on Cowbell. And of course, this song does have a score on ultimatecowbell.com. Would you Would you like to know what We'd it love is, to. gentlemen? We'd love to. Okay. Well, who needs you? Get an ultimatecowbell.com score of 3.66368. So not, I mean, on the lower end, I would I say. Can't, I really can't remember, end. Richard. Is this out of five? He's all out of five or ten? Out of five, yeah. yeah. And, you, and you, you, out of five, and you kind of you kind of benchmark your, you know, don't fear the reapers up at around, I think, 4.2, 4.3. So yeah. That's so, in the higher echelons, though, I would yeah. imagine, isn't it? Reaper. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you actually looked to see what the ultimate cowbell is? I know, I'm is? really curious now. <laughs> we will. We we. Let's hope it's an album we can feature. <laughs> yes. Part, eh? yes. What Absolutely. a moment that'll be. Yeah. Yeah. You'll probably find it some sort of freaking Swiss instrumental, <laughs> I don't know, Calypso <laughs> band or something. Um, anyway, uh, enough of such frivolity. Let's get on to the serious stuff. And It's Late, which is an amazing piece of work. Have we got to your 10, <laughs> Richard? We have got to my 10. This, this song of the album, one of their best ever. I think it's just unreal. The way it starts, the way it builds, it soars, it's uplifting. I love the structure, love the main riff. I mean, it, it, lovely and quiet. And then the, it just explodes in the chorus. It's it's wonderful. And Freddie Mercury's on fire. I mean, they said oh, we've done it. We've done to death with multi-track harmonies. Yeah, bollocks. <laughs> Listen to it's late. <laughs> Steve, do you feel the same way about it? Not quite. I do like it a lot. Yeah, it's. I'm getting a lot of save me, a lot of one vision. Exactly that. I'm getting all that kind of you know that big choral harmonies that Queen do so well, and it's a great track. It is a great track. Yeah, I'm. It's. Well, it was never going to. The ten out of ten was never going to be the one after it, was it? So um, yeah, that's. They could have finished the album with this. Well, and you have to question why they didn't, because My Melancholy Blues didn't need to be on the album, did it, really? The yeah. album was, was already 10 songs long, so I have no idea why My Melancholy Blues is on there. As an album closer, I think it's an odd choice, um, and I don't think it's a particularly interesting song, if I'm being honest. It's just a, 
Freddie Mercury vocal masterclass again, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. uh, Freddie Mercury does Ella Fitzgerald. That's what mm-hmm. this song. Yes, that's true. That's exactly what it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's a smoky club, 2 a.m., uh, cigar smoke, cigarette smoke. Yep, thank you very much. And this is Freddie Mercury signing off and laying down a marker for a, a solo album, I guess, because this is very much up his street, isn't it? He loved this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is News of the World 1977, because all of these albums were released in 1977, hence the theme. And we'd better do some highs and lows. I don't think, uh, I think we've all mentioned what our tracks of the album are, um, but let's pair those with our not so great. Steve, let's start with you. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Get Down, Make Love is atrocious, and We Are the Champions still brings a tear to me eye. 10 out of 10 track all day long. Uh, it's like is my high and sleeping on the sidewalk is the one I'm least keen on. Okay, well, essentially, my high and my low uh, were right next door to each other. Uh, high was fight from the inside, and low was get down, make love. So there you go. That's it. Uh, album number two uh, dealt with, filed away. We'll come back and score it a bit later on and see where it ends up in the Hall of Fame. It's time to move on. By about a month, I think, uh, I'm right in saying, and uh, those boys are back. Blue Oyster Cut with Spectres, which... Opening album sleeve notes. Second, I think, obviously, a second appearance, isn't it, by BOC on the podcast. Obviously, this is the album that followed Agents of Fortune. So, the I guess that difficult post breakthrough album. So, what should they do? Should they change the formula? Should they go for more of the same? Should they continue to stretch the boundaries as they had been doing on, you know, well, really up until then on uh, the various albums that uh, that they had uh, had released. So yeah, before we get back into that, let's uh, talk a little bit about the Bits and Bobs. Yeah, released November 1977, uh, recorded July through to September that same year. Released on Columbia, it was a shade over 40 minutes in length. The lineup, uh, the classic lineup of Eric 
Bloom on guitars, Donald Buckdarmarosa on lead guitar, Alan Lanier on keyboards, and the Bouchard brothers, Joe on bass and Albert on drums, plus various other bits of keyboards and harmonicas and all that kind of bits and pieces. It was produced by the band together with Sandy Perlman, obviously, uh, plus Murray, Murray Krugman and David Lucas, uh, recorded at the record plant in New York. And chart-wise, it did it did okay. It was only in the UK charts for a week. Got in uh, number 60. Fared a little better in the US, uh, getting to number 43. And spent 14 weeks there, but obviously not the uh, same dizzy heights that Agents of Fortune reached. It did go gold eventually in the US. I didn't sell, uh, didn't get any sort of uh, you know, silver, gold or whatever in the UK. Track-wise, there are 10, uh, five on each side. Side one, Godzilla, Golden Age of Leather, Death Valley Nights, and Searching for Celine and Fireworks. And on side two, Are You Ready to Rock, Celestial the Queen, Going Through the Motions, Isle of the Night, and Nosferatu to finish. I sort of sway a bit in terms of spectres, because I love some of the stuff on here. I think they did play it safer. The album is is the worst for it. I think they should have just carried on with what they wanted to do. But you get a lot of commentary on this saying actually, and you know, time has actually been quite good to it, and uh, and it is a hidden gem for me. It's got some misses. It's got some absolute high points, and obviously, it's got some well known classics uh, such as as Godzilla on it. We'll dissect the tracks. Uh, shortly, but uh, gents, um, I don't know how much you knew about this album, and um, and uh, how's it been revisiting it? I, I knew Godzilla. I hadn't heard. I don't think I'd heard anything else on the album other than than that. And I, do you know what? I absolutely love Blois to Cult. It's it's never a chore listening to to Blois to Cult. They are so interesting, so uh, you know, proggy in places. I mean, they are. They're they're a progressive rock band, aren't they? Really, I mean, mm, um, yeah. yeah. They're they're described as heavy hard rock and heavy metal. They're, they're not a hard rock band. I don't think in any guise have they ever been a hard rock band. But they are a, a bloody good progressive rock band. And I think what I like about Spectres is that it, it still surprises you. You know, there's still stuff on there that you just never see coming. It might not be very good some of it but it's it's stuff where you go well what other band would have put that on there whether it's brilliant or whether it's you know because there's some stuff across all of their output that Blois to Cole have done that has no right to be brilliant but it is because they've done it and they've done it in a particular way so yeah I've really enjoyed it I've really enjoyed discovering you know the the, the album um there are three tracks on here that have made it onto playlists there are I think there's a there are one or two I wouldn't say howlers, but they're not. You know, they're they're pretty substandard, even for even for BOC. Um, but overall, thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, thought it was really good. Um, yeah, I think I got the impression reading an Eric Bloom interview because of what had happened on Agents with with Reaper and that that they they kind of played it a little bit safe with this. They got into a groove, a successful groove, was clearly on the up, um, making some money and tried to reproduce Agents a little bit. I'm not so sure because as ever, there's never a dull moment with Blue Oyster Cult, and that's certainly the case with this record. I mean, it's just this a journey with Blue Oyster Cult, 35, 40-minute journey with Blue Oyster Cult, is just an absolute kaleidoscope. You know, where to start? Forget about pigeonholing. I don't know everyone, you know, are they a heavy metal band? I mean, there's any number of pigeonholes you can throw at them and dispute 
time and time again because there isn't a genre that they don't touch um, in this piece of work and others. Um, they're such a creative band. The downside, of course, with being so creative is that unless you're incredible, and very few are, you're going to get the odd miss, as, as you two have both said. So th- there's plenty of highs on here, but one or two moments that I really don't especially care for that much. But that's a risk you're going to take, isn't it, when, you, when your album contains so many different sort of brushstrokes. Great listen, though. I mean, so entertaining. And, you know, as ever, I'm looking forward to the to the next time you, Richard, because I know it'll be you, bring um, bring Blue Oyster Cult to the pod, because it's just never a dull moment. OK, and we start off with, well, at least subject matter wise, a bit of a monster, uh, Godzilla. Bark Rosa came up with a riff uh, just whilst he was playing around on his guitar. It reminded him of a monster stomping. And uh, and a track was born. I mean, it's become a huge favourite live. I mean, it's it, I can't believe it's been off of their set list since this album came out. I like it. It's a good song, but it's not up there with their their best for me. I love uh, Bouchard's bass. I've grown to like Godzilla. I didn't like it much the first time I heard it. I've grown to like it an awful lot. I think it's the the guitar. I love the guitar solo in it. Guitar solo is brilliant. It's one of those Bloys to Cult tracks where it comes out the speakers and you go, Well, I wasn't really expecting that. And I think that is part that was part of my problem with the album, was that it, it just I didn't I wasn't expecting that. And so it took me a little while to get my head around it. I think the structure of it's brilliant. I think it's got a fantastic groove to it. And yeah, if you've come off the back of, of Agents of Fortune, I think this is quite a brave track to put as number one on your next album Mm. the rest of the content might not be particularly brave but i think this is a brave choice for an album i'm um i'm breathing a sigh of relief here because i thought i was gonna be the minority of one but um because i'm not bothered about this at all and um just i I had a mate when we were much younger he he was a massive always to cult fan he was always playing this always said this is better than reaper and i never thought it i never saw it i never got it never connected with me at all so so I didn't dread coming back to it. That'd be silly. But I was just wondering what I'd been missing and would the would a, a long gap in time make me appreciate what I had been missing? And no, still can't see it. It's decent enough, just not amazing. Don't mind that slightly daft Latino hip-hop thing because I would expect nothing less from this lot. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. To answer your question, uh, Richard, it has um, Godzilla has been played 57 times less than Don't Fear the Reaper, which is their you know, all-time conquering live song. And I imagine those 57 occasions probably represent the Agents of Fortune tour. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay, well, to Steve's earlier point about just you don't know where this is going to go, well, here's a case in point. (laughs) What do we follow a song about a uh, great big frozen uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex-like monster with? Well, what we'll do is we'll throw in a song about an ageing biker gang whose last act is to fight each other to death in the desert. <laughs> so, raise your can of beer on high and seal your fate forever. Our best years have passed us by the golden age of leather. I mean, what a cracker. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's just... It's, it's a mini epic. Um, it's, it's really poppy. I mean, it's just mad. 
It, I, I, it's just, it's uh, oh, it always brings a smile to my face. I, I didn't like this one either much the first time I heard it, but it goes absolutely fucking mental in the middle. It just, it takes off, doesn't it? Yeah. It just absolutely goes off like a rocket, a, a bit like Albert Bouchard's girlfriend does on another track. But uh, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> I, I really, I think this is great. I think this is, uh, this is so glorious to cult. Yeah. You couldn't get more BOC than this, could you? Yeah. And yes, and that's the point. And almost um, the start of the song is surprising. So how do we make it even more surprising? Oh, we'll just change it again midway through and go again yeah. off on a, some sort of runway of a groove. It gets so funky and gets so cool. It's my track of the album. It's just so unexpected. But it's <laughs> but it's absolutely left hook of a riff. It's a real punch. But I just love that, like Mark said, I just love that change up um, when it goes off almost into another song. Yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That middle parts again. It's almost, almost that, that they always created that almost otherworldly sound with a number of their their songs, didn't they? Mm. And it, it's it's here again here. Okay, track three then is the first of the ballads on this album, which is Death Valley Nights. It was written uh, by Albert Bouchard with a guy called Richard Meltzer. Um, who's one of their long-time uh, collaborators. And it was Richard Meltzer who was going through a really rough time uh, when they were talking about this song, Help, hence you know, these really sort of heartfelt lyrics. I like it. I do feel at times it's a bit it's a bit too lightweight. Whilst I, I don't mind Albert Bouchard's voice, I think it would have been better had uh, Donald Rosa sung it. And it's not as good as the other ballads on the album in my view so, so this is this is blue oyster cult isn't it this is blue oyster cult i absolutely love this song absolutely <laughs> love it it just gets me somewhere i don't know how i don't know why i don't know i just it gets me and there's no rhyme or reason to it and i suspect we will probably all end up marking this very similarly but our favourite song will be completely different. <laughs> I was just about to say that. This is just so Blue Oyster Cult. We're only three tracks in and we're struggling to agree on anything because it's just um, it's just such a, a, a rainbow of, of, of things going on here. Um, this to me is just a little bit throwaway. I found the outro enormously tiresome, but in nice musicianship, it's okay. I love the piano. I love the piano. I love the chorus, the hooky chorus. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm there. It's good for me. It's good for me. This is one of those albums that, you know, whatever your one or two favourite tracks, you would buy the entire album oh, for yeah. it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, and it's worth yeah. saying that, however, I was going to use the word disappointing. I will use it, but hopefully you'll understand how I mean it. However disappointing the some of the tracks on here are, it's still a bloody good album as a whole. Okay, well, track four is uh, Searching for Celine. It's a, again, we're, we're changing direction again. It was a funkier, I mean, a, yeah, good bass line. More, well, yeah, I mean, I suppose, yeah, kind of a funk rock feel to it, isn't it? Good song for me, not up there with, with my favourites. It's quite catchy, got a really good solo. I like, I like Rose's solo, but a, a bit more... I don't know. Straight ahead is that fair? I don't. Know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. The piano riff in it is cold as ice. It's it just it, it sounds really foreigner, and it is. It's just the piano because none none of the rest of it does. Yeah, I I think this is fine. I, it doesn't make me excited, but it's it's fine. I like it. It's, right, it's a bit a little bit shack attack for me, but it's um yeah, it's like <laughs> a little bit a little bit of funk rock. It's all right. 
Shackleton. <laughs> Honestly, I, there have been many words written about Blue Oyster Cults, many critiques <laughs> of, their, of their stuff. The, the one that will be an arrow through their heart yeah. is it's a little bit shack attack. Who was Celine? Anyone know? Nope. No. Not a clue. No, nor me. <laughs> <laughs> no. I did read a brilliant forum. I read a brilliant thread on a forum about these people. You know, people get very... <laughs> this is this is dangerous game, looking in mirrors. People get very critical of, of albums. <laughs> but they were reviewing... <laughs> <laughs> but they were reviewing this track and they were reviewing it in some sort of, you know, like pseudo-intellectual way of working out. And, and, and it reached a point they'd gone through so many, so many different sort of answers about who Celine was. And there was some bloke who said Louis Ferdinand Celine was a French author. He suffered from insomnia. And he goes a page and page who this fucker was and said, this is to do with it. And then the final put down thread was from some bloke who said, wow, I think he's searching for Celine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Oh dear. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, finish side one then with a track Mark referred to earlier. Uh, and it's a f- track called Fireworks. Uh, it's a song, again, written by Albert Bouchard, the only lyric he wrote alone. And uh, yeah, it's uh, about uh, a, a girl of his and bringing her to, uh, to climax. It's, um, it's a very self-congratulatory song, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, <laughs> but you, you have to. If you're uh, proud, if you're proud of it, tell the you, world. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, style-wise, it's this. This got this real sort of Beach Boys vibe to it. It's catchy. It's swayy. And it's only when you read the lyrics you think, ah, oh, it's about that. <laughs> you, you wouldn't get that from Brian Wilson. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think Albert was listening to a, quite a different wall of sound that night. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, apparently, uh, this didn't when the, he wrote it when when he he kind of wrote it down and it was in his head, but it didn't sound the way he had intended when they were actually laying it down. He was he was crestfallen and sort of almost inconsolable. And apparently Bruce Springsteen, who was recording Born to Run in the studio next door, and came in and said, This is brilliant. I'd be very happy if I'd written this. So it's got it's got the endorsement of the boss. Mm. There you go. It's, it's... Can you imagine this on Born to Run. <laughs> It would elevate that. I like it up to a point. I think the verses are gold, and I find the chorus is really cheesy. I just love that flow and that roll to the melody. Everything up to that point where they start the chorus, which I, I just think it's sensational, and then they just, it just sort of deflates. Um, I don't like that no, Beach Boys bit. don't like that Beach Boys bit. No, it doesn't. Uh, no, it doesn't. I, I, doesn't love, the, I, I love the verse structure. That, right. that melody is beautiful. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, me too. Good. If I had a TARDIS, I'd love to go back. Imagine you get a TARDIS to go to the plant in New York City. Oh, and no, 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 not, not that bit of this. No. And, and, and you know, you've got these these bands in there, cheek by jowl, it. recording these classics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, shall we flip the album over then? And uh, side two starts with a song not as famous as Godzilla, but uh, quite a lot of people will know a song called Are You Ready to Rock? And it's a pretty straightforward rocker to start side two. Uh, again, Blue Oyster Cult did these kinds of songs. I mean, nothing spectacular. It was uh, written at the same time as 
Patty Smith's Easter, but then took a, a, a year of, of back and forth between Albert Bouchard, uh, Sandy Perlman to get it down. Yeah, and it's good guitar, nice and rocky. Not a lot else to say from me. Possibly the most straightforward song on the album, isn't it? Yeah, rock yeah. and roll song. On, yeah, it's, yeah, it's fine. I, I, it's one of those that, you know, as a side to track one, it's a bit of a letdown, if I'm being honest. But as a piece yeah. of music, it's absolutely fine. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I really like it. I think there's a lot going on. You say it's quite straight, straight ahead rock and roll, and it is. And maybe that's why I've alluded to um, that kind of grease sing-along chorus and the fact that you can almost imagine the finish. It just feels like that sort of scene in the Blues Brothers where the whole congregation is just kind of going for it at the end. It's got that kind of feel to it. It almost feels like a sort of yeah. mini theatrical performance, this whole song, which is quite, in, in, you know, cramped into uh, under four minutes. I like it. I think it's a great opener because it's a lot of energy about it. Certainly prefer it to We Will Rock You. Okay, on to track seven. Well, more of the same. (laughs) Not likely. Track called Celestial the Queen. I mean, back to the sort of really summery, lighty, lighter, poppier tracks that they they do so well. One of the ones uh, I'm not so bothered about, actually, on on this album. It's fine for me, but uh, yeah, not up there with the best. See, I told you, I told you, we all like different stuff, don't we? We all like <laughs> different stuff. Yeah, this isn't my favourite track on the album, by uh, by a way. But, yeah, I really like this. I think this is, um, I could hear this on Fire of Unknown Origin quite mm. easily. You know, it's got that kind of light. It's got that light production as well, actually, isn't it? It is very airy. It kind of floats around. It's, it is your... You describe it perfectly, I think, which is it's a summary song, and I think I, probably that's why I like it. Makes me happy, and in the end, isn't that what it's all about? Yep. See, I like the fact that it was co-written by someone called Hell on Wheels, <laughs> and I'm just trying to check that. Is that right? Helen Helen Wheels is her name, which, if you say kind of slightly, yeah, and that's not a made-up name. That's her real name, Helen Wheels. Helen Wheels. Great, isn't it? Helen Robbins. Yeah. Helen Wheels. Nay Robbins. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's no, all right. Other than that. Track eight is Going Through the Motions. Again, uh, a track that is uh, pretty, more people will know. And for me, it's the, the weakest point on the album. Uh, so uh, Eric Bloom knew Ian Hunter of Mott the Hoople. They wrote uh, Going Through the Motions at Eric Bloom's house, recorded it on a four track. And yeah, you can absolutely hear Mott the Hoople if you listen to Going Through the Motions. It's very early 70s fairly safe nothing offensive on it uh not as interesting as uh, i need and expect from this band it is an entirely appropriately titled song <laughs> that's all i've got it's the low point for me as well yeah nothing to add okay so we've yeah we've had a little bit of a dip but we're about to climb again and uh, track nine is i love the night part of a pair of classics in my view to finish i love the night followed by nosferatu both songs about vampires i love the night as i understand it about a man falling for a female vampire lovely ballad uh, it's haunting it's dark it's emotional the harmonies are wonderful on it yeah and this is one of my my favorite songs of theirs apparently a bit of a pair with a song called the then then came the last days of may uh that was on their their debut album which again is another absolute classic of theirs yeah this is a track of the album for me i absolutely love it yeah i agree and and interesting that that that's where it's sort of its origins are seen because i see it uh, without knowing that i kind of 
pigeonholed it as a almost as a companion piece to Don't Fear the Reaper mm-hmm. in terms of the subject matter. And this feels to me like this is this album's Reaper, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. track of the album. You're right, yeah. It's very clever to be able to, um, you know, a subject matter that is basically so dark and make it seem so beautiful, which comes as no surprise to um, Alan Lanier, who's, who said of Rosa, I, I find Donald's supernatural songs more compelling. He has this way of writing so that in I Love the Night, the occult angle is secondary to the love aspect. And that's what you're getting. It's such a wonderfully mellow <laughs> vibe, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Very yeah. clever songwriting, yeah. given the subject matter they, as much as anything else. But, but, they, but they do that all the time. Don't you look at, go um, fast forward four years and Veteran of the Psychic Wars, about post-traumatic stress mm. disorder, but a more beautiful song. Mm. I know, you yeah. couldn't imagine. About a really heavy you know. subject, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and then, you know, Soul Survivor, about being the last person after, a, you know, sort of a, 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 essentially Armageddon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they do dark in a really light and fluffy way, mm. and it's really, really, really effective. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's that. I mean, it's, yeah, as you say, it, it's it's the emotion, isn't it? I yeah. mean, this song is. I, I actually, had, I don't care about dying. I'm in love. Yeah. <laughs> so it's followed then by, and the album closes with Nosferatu or Nosferatu, if you hear their vocals. A song that includes a Mellotron. We've got a Mellotron. Haven't had one of those in a while on on the pod. Again, very gothic atmosphere, particularly the start. I don't know. I, I can hear influences this has got to, it you know, must have influenced the likes of nick cave and it's another mini epic builds really nicely rises and falls again another great solo and this strong finish this is brilliant absolutely stunning i, I love that sort of really malevolent hook that goes through it anyway um and the way it sort of evenly lists but and you talk about you know dharma solos this is the best on the album he really flexes his fretboard, I think, in a way he hadn't done mm. in a few of the earlier tracks. But yeah. Absolute stunning finish. It is a stunning finish, but but they've managed to pull off the trick of, of making the final song not quite as brilliant as the one that preceded it, <laughs> in my view. So <laughs> so you kind of feel it's ridiculous. I know it's ridiculous. Right? I, I, you don't need to tell me it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But I was slightly disappointed <laughs> by it, even though I absolutely love it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we better have some highs and lows. Uh, Mark, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, it's quite easy, really. Um, I Love the Night is absolutely um, the high for me. And going through the motions, well, you did, boys. You did. Yeah, I love the night as well, but I love Golden Age of Leather more. Yeah, going through the motions. Yeah, and it's a... Full house for going through the motions as the low, and uh, I'm with Mark as well on I Love the Night as the high. There we are. They're our trio, probably not the usual trio of albums that you would necessarily select from 1977, but three, I mean, completely independently chosen Mm. that are so eclectic, so just varied. Um, So I, I think they've sat really, really well together. On, on this episode. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed uh, our reviews and um, please do go and give them all a listen. But uh, before we go, we need to do the important thing of scoring each of these three track by track and then seeing where they end up in the Hall of Fame. Reviews complete. Initializing rating process. 
Okay, so there you go. Three albums from 1977 for episode 53 of the Enter Sad Men podcast. Um, and we kicked it off not too long ago now with um, Yes and Going for the One, um, their very long EP, five-track beauty from that year. And as I thought, it scored well. Um, Richard gave it 7.7, 7, uh, Mark gave it 7.94, and I gave it a stonking 8.5. Um, for an overall score, and it's cleared the eight barrier, an overall score of 8.05. Did Queen get anywhere near those rarefied heights, Mark? Well, they didn't get far off it. They didn't quite get to uh, to where Yes got to. We were pretty close to one another, really, broadly speaking, which yeah, I kind of thought we would do based on the conversation. Steve, you gave it 7.1, well, 7.2 if rounding up. I gave it 7.7. Uh, Richard gave it 7.5 dead. And that all added up and divided to give them give Queen's News of the World an average album score of 7.47273. I suspect Blois Scott did a little better. Yeah, they yeah, they did all right. They did all right. Uh, Steve and I were pretty similar. I gave it a seven point five. Uh, Steve a seven point five five. But you, Mark, liked it most of all, uh, giving it an eight point one nine. And that gave Spectres an overall score of 7.75 or just under. Fairly similar scores. Let's then see where these three albums end up in the Hall of Fame. It's time to put The Rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. So how have our three 1977 albums done? Well, all pretty good in that they are all comfortably in our top 100 uh, and Queen uh, was, ended up the lowest of the three score-wise. Uh, News of the World, uh, with its 7.47 or so, uh, finds its way in at number 85. They're a place below uh, Gillen with Future Shock and just above Double Eclipse by Hardline. We climb a fair bit further up uh, to number 46 to find Bloor's to Cults, uh, Spectres with its 7.75 or so, place below Hearts Little Queen and a place above Rush's 2112. The, the top album of uh, this episode, Yes, is going for the one uh, with its 8.046, uh, finds its way into the top 30 uh, at number 24, just below Jethro Tull's Crest of a Knave and just above Tesla's Mechanical Resonance. Yeah, I think a really successful uh, three albums there, gents. Um, and yeah, Yes have done substantially better than Fragile. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to make yeah. that. I was just going to make that point because um, I, I think this is the second album we've done from each of these two bands, and um, the, the, certainly with Bloys to Carlton Queen, they were inferior to the previous ones. Mm. But fragile compared to going for the one, it's um, there's about a massive two point difference, isn't there? Which is yeah. colossal. Um, yeah, that is largely down to me, though, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You hadn't quite embraced the, the prog project by then, had you? I, I went back and I listened to Fragile again. And you scored it lower? Not, well, no, I didn't score it lower. Uh, I was slightly more tolerant of it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that if I were marking it again, it would fare much better. Yeah. I just yeah. It's an album I just don't get. Um, but it t- I'll tell you something. You know, it, people listening to this, if, if you're not familiar with the podcast, you might go, well, yeah, you know, you're talking about doing really well, and you're talking about albums that are, you know, that where they are in sort of top thirty or you know, wherever um, in the forties. You think, well, that's not really that good, is it? But actually, getting anything now above an eight is quite tough. And 
and that is that is really squeezed now those those sort of upper sevens are really really squeezed so by the time we finish this if we ever finish it getting into that top 100 will be a massive achievement mm, yeah yeah so there we go another episode done and dusted hope you've enjoyed uh, our thoughts on these albums please do go and give them a listen wherever you stream or buy the vinyl why don't you buy the vinyl we've had a blast as usual thanks ever so much for your company and we will be back again very soon with our next episode take care see ya all music clips featured in the enter sad men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of uk and international copyright law to make sure the rock rolls forever on Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service. Mm -hmm.